to see, it's great to hear the, sorry, here, let me not crowd you guys over here. Um, it's, it's great to, to see the singers up here singing with passion. It's great to see Bryce singing with passion. I don't know, man, just watching him just encourages me. And so uh, thank you guys for being here. Good morning. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, we're going to be diving into Luke. We're really going to be looking at Luke chapter one today. I'll talk about why shortly, but uh, can we pray? Shall we? Let's pray. Let's do it. Our Father, our Provider, we come before you and we thank you for being different. We thank you for your name being holy. And God, we pray for your rule and your reign to be here on earth as it is wherever you are. God, thank you for what you give us. You give us exactly what we need. You give us exactly what we need. You nourish our souls. You're worried about the inside out, Father, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, help us to forgive others. God, lead us away from our human intuitions that lead to destruction and survival. God, and help us to seek your kingdom. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. We're going to just jump right in. So if you got a Bible with you or on your phone or something, just be around Luke 21. Um, I don't know about you guys, but reading Luke 21 this week, what's going on here? We, we read Luke 21 and 22, right? So I'm going to give a caveat. We're going to hang on to 22 for next week. We're going to kind of sit on the passion narrative next week, okay, as Luke comes to a close. But Luke 21, what is going on here? It's, can we just say it's strange? Can we say that? Maybe I'm going to say it. it's strange. It's kind of weird. What's happening? And I, I don't know about you, but I, I wanted to kind of understand a little bit more. So I go to maybe some commentaries or study Bibles, and then I'm hit with words like tribulation and rapture. And I'm like, Jesus didn't say those words. What's happening here? What does this mean? There's cross-references, more cross-references to, to Revelation than there are to the Old Testament. And I'm just trying to figure out what is happening here. And I want to do something with us this morning. I want to offer us maybe just a, a small paradigm shift on Luke 21 and what Jesus is talking about here. Just another angle of it, okay? Because I believe we got to take a step back from maybe the cultures we grew up in, the religious cultures we grew up in, the, the theology that gets passed on to us, the oral law like the Pharisees, that gets passed on to us that we never question or never investigate and we read into things. Let's take a step back. Can we do that this morning? I'm glad you said yes because that's what I planned for. But we do, we do, you know, what is Luke talking about in chapter 21? Where does this, where does this language come from? There's something, um, and if you've taken like the Sunday school classes or you watched YouTube videos and stuff like that, you've probably heard of this word exegesis and this other word called eisegesis, right? And when you read scripture, eisegesis is when you read something into the scripture and exegete, when you exegete, you're trying to understand it without reading anything into it. You want to you pull something out, correct? I want to propose a thought to you, okay? This is going to sound crazy, 
Maybe, to some of you, maybe it'll make perfect sense. It's, it's near impossible to exegete without reading something into Scripture. Some might say it is. Just as human beings, in our condition, we have a bias, we have an understanding, we have our culture, we bring into everything we do, even when we read God's Word. What we don't understand is the culture, the history, the connections. That's something we don't understand. So we need to take a step back and think about what are we reading into scripture. And maybe it would help if we understand Jesus's culture and read that into scripture as if we want to understand what he's saying. Does that make sense? So that's the goal this morning. This is not going to be conclusive answering all your questions about what is exactly does Jesus mean here, but I want to offer us a paradigm shift in this, okay? Let's do it. Let's do it. If you want, I'm not even going to say it till the end. I'm not going to say the handle till the end. What? <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, so again, just to quickly paraphrase what's going on in Luke, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem now. He's there. Jerusalem, the city of peace. Is what that means, city of peace. And he's there, and he's happy to be there, and he's shaking hands and kissing babies, right? Not exactly. He's not happy with what he sees. He's not happy with the mistreatment of the oppressed there, the poor, the widows. He's not happy with the temple system and what's become of it. And he's speaking out, and he's teaching. He's extending God's grace again and again. But what exactly does that mean? And what are the implications for us? He starts talking about, in chapter 21, like destroying the temple and destroying Jerusalem and and all this crazy stuff about if pregnant women, you better look out, you better run. And we're like, this this isn't merciful, God. What is happening here? Jesus, how can you say this? This doesn't sound very Jesus-like. VeggieTales didn't have an episode on this. We have to find a way to reconcile these things. Maybe we can't perfectly, but we have to strive to understand. Jesus is exposing the corruption that he's finding, and, that, and really that's pretty overt in the temple system. He teaches, and in his parables leading up to like chapter 19 and 20, he's teaching about stewardship, about what God's people should be doing within his kingdom. And how people, what happens when people don't do that, right? Isn't that what those parables really all are talking about? Yes. So one day in the temple, Jesus tells them exactly where all these efforts are leading. So let's go to Luke 21. So I'm going to break away from my usual style. And we're just going to, we're going to eat this elephant one bite at a time. Okay? It's not going to answer all your questions. What I'm wanting to do is maybe just like, it's like going to a chiropractor, right? And you go and you get an adjustment, right? Yeah? That's what we're trying to do here. Okay, maybe you guys need to go to a chiropractor if you don't know what I'm talking about. All right, let's go to to Luke 21. We're going to read the first, uh, we're just going to go one chunk at a time. Here we go. What can we learn about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem? As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich, putting their gifts into the temple treasury. What group was in charge of the temple treasury? The Sadducees. Hmm. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, 
This poor widow has put more in than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of the abundance of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What should be happening to a poor widow in the presence of all of God's people in his temple? She should be getting tended to. She should be getting pulled in. People should be giving money to her. And look at her. Look what's happening here. An awesome thing that she's doing. But Jesus is like, look around. There's something off here. Some of the disciples, <laughs> while this, I can imagine maybe while Jesus is watching this happen, happen, the disciples are talking about this. Some of the disciples are remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. They're like, oh, how beautiful is this? And Jesus is like, how ugly is this? But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come where not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Okay, way to be a bummer, Jesus. We're just saying it looks nice, Jesus. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? Wait, we just said how beautiful this is. And you're you're talking about how God's going to destroy it? When? When? Why do you think they're asking when? This isn't the first time this question has been posed, right? Maybe they can maybe they can make that adjustment at the last second. Maybe they can do something to protect it. Well, let's take up arms and protect the temple. Survive? Keep it? Mm. Mm. All right. Mm. Okay. There's a lot here, y'all. He replied, watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name declaring, I am he, or the time is near, but don't follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And it's about at this point in time where you start seeing the words like rapture pop up in your study Bible, maybe. I don't know. Depends on what you got. And you're like, wait, what's happening? But hold on a second. Hold on a second. Something is happening here about the temple. The temple? What's the purpose of the temple? It's to draw people near to God. To draw people near to God. Instead, it's become something else. It's become a spectacle of Israel's empire. Look what we've made. You know, something that's interesting is um, um, after the Exodus, God comes down. Uh, and, 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 and they build something. They build something for God. What do they build for God? They build an ark. And, and, the, and God's presence, his Shekinah, resides in this ark. And the ark resides in this tent. Not a building, a tent. And we call that the tabernacle, right? And whenever God's people moves, the tabernacle moves with them. God is among them. How cool is that? He's among them. He's near them. And where they go, he goes. Where he goes, they go more, right? But something happens when when they get to Jerusalem. They take Jerusalem, and David becomes king of Jerusalem. And there's this whole interaction. You can read 2 Samuel 7. You can see this, where David's like, all right, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to build a temple for you, God. And God's response is like, okay, cool. Just so we're clear, I never asked for this i was cool with the tent that's cool being among you in that way but okay it's not going to happen through you it's going to happen through your son solomon and we'll make it happen how gracious is god but think about this why would they want to build a temple 
instead of a tent. Because everybody around them, that's what they did. All the other nations, all the other kingdoms, all the other empires. What do you do? You build a temple for your God to show your God's power, right? And you build it as big as you can. You build it on the highest hill. You do all of that. Yeah? There's this temptation for God's people to blend in with the world. We gotta, we gotta show up. We gotta, we gotta show up. We gotta be like them. They, oh, they're outdoing us. This is the thing you're supposed to do, right? This is the thing you're supposed to do. Don't, do you tell yourself that? This is the thing I'm supposed to do. Mm. God always wanted to dwell with his people. And it's funny because even when Solomon, they're building this temple, Solomon makes this comment. He's like, like, we can even contain you, God. Because <laughs> that, that whole idea was with the pagan temples, what went inside the middle was like the statue, the idol, right? Like the little statue. But there wasn't that for God. It was God's presence, his Shekinah. There's no, there's no little carving in there or gold statue. It's his presence, can't even contain you. So even Solomon's like, what is this temple really about? You know, there's something cool in the whole biblical narrative. Genesis 2 to Revelation 21 both attest to the, what's, the, what's God's purpose here? To dwell with us. To dwell with us. In Revelation 21, when the new Jerusalem comes down, there will be no temple because God will be everywhere. God will be among his people. You just read the Old Testament sometime. The temple, it's been destroyed and rebuilt more than once. And what's happening here in Jesus' time, right before Jesus' time, is that Herod did something. This temple's not quite big enough. This last time it got rebuilt, not quite big enough. We got to add on to it. So Herod undergoes this huge project. They they use temple tax to do this. They use the temple tax to build up the temple. And it's and some historians think this was the biggest building project in the first century, or into the first century, the biggest project in this time in the known world. That's big time, y'all. We don't have a lot, a lot when it comes to ancient historians, but even the ones that were around, there's a Greek one and there was a, a Jewish one, Josephus. They were like, yeah, this looks like a snow-capped mountain. It looks real nice. Good job. You have the best one. What's really going on here? Is this making sense context-wise? And it's in, in the chase of beauty, in the chase of status quo, in the chase to be like the people around them, they had lost the purpose of what the temple's supposed to be about. So they ask, when is this happening? Think about it. Why are they asking, when is it happening? What can we do to stop it? What can we do to maybe change something about it? But I think there's something cool about God that maybe sometimes can confuse us. But God won't tolerate anyone who gets in the way of other people connecting to him. God will not tolerate that, even especially if it's his own people. We do read in the Old Testament, we're like, man, some hard stuff happens. 
But honestly, some of the hardest stuff happens to God's own people. Why? Because of this pattern. Because in chasing after building something of their own, not of God, they end up blocking people from God. Uh, Let's take a field trip in Luke to 17. You've probably heard this, and it's in a couple of the Gospels. Um, uh, In verse 2, there's this line that Jesus drops talking about, um, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be, you've heard this, right? And we're like, oh, wow, this is kind of morbid, Jesus. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Wow. Okay. I think God takes it pretty serious when we get in the way of other people seeing him and knowing him. Yeah? Because isn't that what this is all about? Isn't that why we're here? To dwell, to be with our creator? And his own people, when they get in the way of that, God deals with that. God deals with that. The the religious elite and the temple system were putting people in a position to become sinners. Okay, the kids aren't in here. How do widows make money in this time and place? When you don't have that support system of the family, what do do they go and do? Prostitution. People that are outside the community, tax collectors, how do they ever get back in? You see how it's a cycle? There's, there's, there's a few uh, prophets that Jesus just riffs on, and it's underneath. These are gems. Zechariah uh, and Seven talks about, do not oppress the widows, the orphans, the aliens, the poor. Do not do those things. Hosea says, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let's go to Isaiah. We've got to read this one. I'm sorry. I don't want to give anyone paper cuts. But Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 11 here, is God speaking to uh, Israel that has rebelled against him. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. Wait, God, didn't you say that we should do these things? I'm confused. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. 
I really want to keep reading. Isaiah is awesome. <laughs> Later, keep reading Isaiah 1. They've lost their purpose. The temple has lost its purpose. And God loves us so much, he's not willing to let anything, anything, anything get in the way of that. Let's go back to Luke 21, okay? One bite at a time. We're not going to spend that much time on every bite, right? We're actually probably going to go through some of these a little bit more quickly. Twenty-one, Luke 21, verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. Before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. And make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by even parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Jesus reminds them to stay on mission when it gets hard. It's about to go down. This is going to be difficult. But he's going to remain with them. You don't have to, you do not need to get caught up in that survival mode. The limbic system, whatever you want to call it. I don't know how geeky you are into science. You don't need to get into that. You can trust in me. You don't even need to worry about what you're going to say. You can trust in me. The closer you stay to me, the closer I am to you. The last verse 19 there, stand firm and you will, and you will win life. It's like Luke, Jesus has been saying this over and over again in Luke. Be resolved. Be resolved. So resolved. So resolved to your own death of self that you can just be patient and endure. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, those, who, those in the country not enter the city, for, for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that's been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There'll be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus, what are you saying here? This isn't the first time this has happened to Jerusalem. Okay? You have to know that. You have to know this is kind of a cycle. You have to know that God's people have this tendency and pattern. And we have to hear that. We have to be aware. I mentioned it earlier, but what does Jerusalem mean? What does the name mean? City of Peace. And, and, and even just Luke so far, hasn't even Jesus said, like, you wouldn't even, you didn't even see peace, the path of peace in front of you? Hey, Jerusalem, you wouldn't even know peace if it bit you. He didn't say that, but kind of the point. 
the city of peace (laughs) was not bearing peace, nor did it even recognize God's peace. God placed them there for a reason. And this is maybe something we'll talk about that Monday night group. We can get busy with this. The geography of Jerusalem is really important. In Exodus, God told Israel, you are supposed to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be in a place where you're going to be priests to the world. That's what Jerusalem is there for. God placed them at Jerusalem because they were to be like a tabernacle for the world. But instead, Jerusalem has that pattern of falling in lines with worldly empires. Jesus is riffing off of Isaiah, off of Daniel, off of Hosea, who are all speaking to people in their own time about the justice that God's going to bring on Israel for getting in the way of people seeing them. But as the cycle repeats, Jesus repeats their words because it's going to happen again. Turn with me if you can. We're doing a lot of flipping today. It's one of those sorry, not sorry things, but there's some really good stuff here. This is my frustration in reading this this week. There was a lack of connection to God's narrative in the Old Testament. So I want to take us there. At least in the stuff I was reading, my my resources, I just didn't see that. So let's go there. Exodus 34. In verse 6. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, to thousands of generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We read that and we're like, ouch. But look at the proportions there of the love to the punishment. God is so patient. I want you to start on page one of the Bible sometime. Just do this as an exercise. And I know this might sound kind of weird, but just understand. Put yourself in the position of God as if like put yourself in God's shoes. Start on page one of the Bible. And put a bookmark wherever you would stop and get frustrated and be like, I've had it with humans. (laughs) God has never put that bookmark down. God has not given up on us. But what about you? What about me? How quick am I to be like, I'm over this? Done, man. My hands are up. But God is incredibly patient with his people willing to let them say mistakes over and over again, willing to let them build a kingdom. He was like, I, I need you to just be cool dwelling with me. Let me feed you. Nah, we got to go get ours. Okay, fine. Hey, we're going to build you a temple, God. We're like, oh, we already got a thing. No, you need a temple. Okay, you can do that. God's so patient with us because he loves us. Let's go back to Luke 21. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. And we're like, Kirk Cameron, where are you? 
People will faint from terror, right? I'm just, I'm just saying what it is. Apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At this time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. We read this and we're like, whoa, this is like, you know, we think of like the apocalypse, right? Kind of a thing, which that's technically what this is. But you know what apocalypse means? It means revealing. Revealing. It just means revealing. Revealing of God. All of these things here listed in this passage, if you read this this week and you were confused, these are all things that point to God's presence. When they built the tabernacle, the tabernacle was filled with a cloud. God's presence, right? The earth is shaken. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything that the creator has created will announce that. He's here. But the point of this, if I could point you in a direction, all right, in Daniel 7, Daniel 7, verse 13. This is what Jesus is drawing on here, okay? The point is God is going to return to his people to dwell with them, and not just with them, but all nations. But all nations. God's presence always comes with justice because God is light. In in him, there can be no darkness. One of our favorite scriptures, yeah? Let's keep reading. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer's near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass. You'll get some, if you Google this passage, you'll get some interesting interpretations. And if you have not done some work to understand the history and culture of Jesus in his time, and what's happened in Jerusalem in the temple repeatedly throughout time, you're going to get to this point and you're going to be like, what is, why, okay, a fig tree? What? What does that mean? What does it mean? And we come up with all these very imaginative things. You know what Jesus is saying here? You know what happens after a, a tree grows leaves? What comes next? The fruit. And it's something he's already told the Pharisees. Something he's already said before. You know how to read the signs of the stars, but you can't understand what God is about to do because you're not trying to hear it. Let's read this last chunk here. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will come on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you might be able to escape all that's about to happen, that you might be able to stand before the Son of Man. And then Jesus kept teaching. Every evening... And he'd go spend the night in the Mount of Olives. And all the people would come to him early in the morning to hear him at the temple. What is Jesus saying here? Yeah, you see that stuff. You see that that system I've been talking about, that temple? You see those things that are going wrong? Don't let that way of living weigh you down. Don't get caught up in that. Don't be part of that. 
Don't let the ways of this world, don't let this filling yourself up distract you from what's happening. Those beautiful stones won't mean a thing when they're gone. And again, I think Jesus said, it's almost as if Luke intentionally wove some of these things together. If we have not caught that connection yet here in week, what is it, 11 of reading Luke? Luke 17, those who try to save their life will lose it. Stay alert. Stay focused on who God is. Here's your handle. Watch yourselves. That's his warning. That's what he says. He says, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Examine yourselves. What does this mean for us today? I'm going to bring this for a landing, okay? We, hey, we got in there. You know, and thank you for, you know, entertaining me. I haven't gotten to dig deep in the history like this with you guys for a while. And hopefully it made sense. Hopefully you do have questions. And hopefully you're going to go look. What does this mean for us today? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, he says, you are now the temple. We, think about that. And everything we just learned, we thought, oh, that's so cool. And now it's like, oh, hold on a second. God resides within his church. We move around. We're not stationary. This, we didn't go to church this morning. You are the church. God's presence is within us. God has always intended this to work with people, his created humans, for them to be his representatives to those in the world that don't know him. Jesus became a walking temple. John 2 tells us that. You became a walking temple. That, that role is passed on to us. You don't have to look at church history very long to see that, well, we kind of go have the same tendencies as maybe the Israelites did as far as pursuing our own empire and things. Literally empires and countries that have been built on the name of Christianity. Like Constantine, he's like, oh, that's a cool symbol. I'm going to use that symbol to go conquer. I think you got off track there. I think so. Business empires, man. Cultural dominance. Can we talk about it? In what ways... So here's some questions. Here's some thinking questions we're going to work through and then we'll, we'll take communion together. In what ways do we build onto the temple? The things that we think we must have, like Herod and all the others are like, oh, we got to build it up. We got to do this. We have to make room for this. We have to make it look like this. What are the things that we think we must have that God never said? <laughs> Let's really, can we have a conversation about that? Do do you want to have a conversation about that? That's a hard conversation. Yeah. Programs, events, ministry, organizational structures. These things aren't bad as long as they help draw people to God. But the moment they become more important than people, there's a problem. Just as the temple became more important than people, that widow who just apparently can go give and like not be pulled in. Yeah. You feel that? Who are we attracting people to? To God or to ourselves? The problem for God's people has always been that pull. It's always been that pull. What's more important? The Sunday morning gathering or your daily 
gatherings. An act of worship or a life of worship? Growing in size versus growing in intimacy and maturity. What about the church matters to you most? You ask yourself that question, and it's going to be really revealing, and it's going to hurt. But you've got to be honest, and you've got to be willing to deal with that. And I think we need to give each other grace. Man, this has been my expectation. This is where I have been critical. This is where I wish things could be. Maybe I need to stop. But do you understand? Oh, my gosh. What are the things that bother you the most? That's also revealing. This question is probably most important. Are you willing to see your role in it all? Are you willing to examine yourself? Last, last week, was it last week in our Monday night group? We asked that question. In what ways are we perhaps perpetuating the very things that frustrate us, the very things that aren't from God, but yet we play into it? In subtle ways, sneaky ways. I'm going to give a charge to the young folks. We need you guys. Your guys' growth and growing closer to God and knowing God is far more important to us. We need you guys to speak out. We need you guys to share with us what you see, what scares you, where God, you believe God is leading us. I'm not even going to say that whole stuff about be respectful because you know that. That's who you guys are, but we need that. Mature people, we need to listen. Not only look around, but look inward. We need to go up to the young people and ask them. I cannot handle one more conversation about how we need to grow if we're not talking about how to keep our young people here. We've got to be humble, mature people. We've got to, we've got to have a death-like mentality when it comes to our pride and ego. There's no other option. We've got to die to ourselves in that. Trusting God more than your own experiences, what's happened to you, and your comforts. God's got this. God's got this. God wants to dwell with his people so that other people around can see his divine beauty of what happens when God and man dwell together. And what can happen when those people can dwell with other people, their enemies. There's no other place you can go to in the world where you have enemies in the same place. You can't do it. Jesus did that with his disciples. Jesus is doing that with us. There's people in here, we just don't agree with them. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we would be on opposite ends. I'm just saying, just being really honest. If we do not watch and examine ourselves, I, I was talking in pre-service this morning. This has been hard. Like the past 10, 12 chapters of Luke, it's like right punch, left punch, right punch. And I'm like, when, when will this stop? And I'm, I'm, wanting the, I'm wanting it to stop. I'm wanting to feel comfortable. If we don't watch and examine ourselves, we too will fall into that trap of attraction, empire, and trying to survive. Jesus shows us a way. He was the walking tabernacle. By following his example 
of carrying God's presence into our lives and communities. We've got to follow him. I'm going to read one more passage from Luke. And then, uh, then we'll pray. And we'll take communion together. Amen? Amen? Luke 9, verse 21. As we're, as we're nearing, as we're in the passion story of Jesus, and we'll, we'll, next week we'll sit on that. But listen to this. Jesus shares what he's going to do, and he directly connects it to his followers. Luke 9, 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Let's, let's pray. Father, we know what is good. You are good. You tell us to seek justice, to love mercy, and just to be with you humbly. That is what, that is what this is for. That is our wish for our, our, our families, for one another, for our neighbors, for this city, for this world, God to get to just do that, to experience your justice, mercy, and being with you. We know that when we are all in that place, Father, that everything is fine. God, I pray so much for us to look to Jesus. I pray so much for us to listen to Jesus. God, we pray for your spirit to do a powerful work within us. Father, we are so grateful for the example you set. We're so grateful for your grace and mercy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.